0: Preston Keeling worked at a coffee shop called My Place Cafe, which is in Hen's T Square, just down a few blocks away. So I went over there to have a sandwich made by his hands. It was very important to me that it wasn't his co-workers making my sandwich, but it was Preston to make my lunch. And I was talking to the owner, and she told me that they got their coffee beans from Africa, Jackie Robinson's son, and we know that Jack, Jackie and Mac Robinson grew up in the Pasadena area. Well, Jackie's son and now grandson own a coffee bean farm in Tanzania. And they have a fair trade partnership with coffee growers in Ethiopia. So this little shop over here gets its coffee beans from those two places and uh, connected through the Robinson family. Um, So I I just like buying a coffee from there. I love those lines of connections through history, through time and place, all the way down to Preston himself. And it's enough to make me go back and to buy an occasional cup of coffee, even though Preston doesn't work there any longer. And even though it really isn't in my lifestyle to buy what I consider to be a very expensive cup of coffee, (laughs) But those community connections make me want to support a woman-owned, local, independent coffee shop in my neighborhood of where I work. Of course, one community that we belong to is the one in which we are living and the one in which we are working, those are sometimes chosen for us. But other communities we get to build for ourselves and some of those center around sports, kids' activities, schools, hobbies, like interests, seasons or stages of life. We belong to all kinds of different communities. Our sense of community has been hit hard by the pandemic. Maybe we appreciate community all the more, having been recently forced to live without it. Our sermon series is called Created for Worship, and today our theme is Worship in Community. We're looking at the church community, which is different from all other communities. The Christian church community is built on our common bonds through Jesus Christ, and it is a spiritual community but also equally at the same time, equally importantly, it's a physical and local community. Both of these facts make it a unique community. On the one hand, we have untold spiritual wealth. What other community has the power of God and the love of Jesus Christ and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit at its heart? What other community has the direction and guidance from its head? Jesus Christ. I know you didn't think I was the head of this church. We're Baptist enough to know that our head is not the pastor. Our head is Jesus Christ. What other community stretches itself every day to step out of its comfort zone in faith? And that, that step of the steps of faith can be scary. What other community's standard is to become more and more like Jesus, which is to say to become more loving every day, which is to say to become perfectly loving. It's a high, high standard. What other community's goal is to give itself away in service and sacrifice, to give its treasure away, to give away its ultimate treasure, which is Jesus Christ? What other community recognizes that Its failures need to be confessed and regularly asked forgiveness for. Well, that's what we should be doing. What other community recognizes that each of its individual members needs radical transformation and submission to our Savior for that transformation and for his indwelling? The church comes together as a group of needy people, yes, but also with access to spiritual resources, the like of which no other community has. We are bonded through the blood of Jesus Christ across all barriers of race and gender and social standing and educational differences, across all barriers of culture and language and geographic space. During our prayer time, we leaped over geography into the Middle East to pray for Lebanon and Sister Suzanne, into uh, Eastern Europe to pray for Ukraine. Our prayers connect us worldwide to a church community that is wide and long and deep to people we can't understand but who at the same time we recognize as our brothers and sisters in Christ. Our spiritual connection is vast and my view is that our understanding and articulation of that spiritual community is really only the tip of the iceberg Iceberg of what our spiritual community actually entails. And at the same time, the church community is a physical, particular, some people would say peculiar, local community. We meet together in a shared time and place and culture. And Some of the best in our community comes out when we are eyeball to eyeball. When we are in the same physical space, when we can pray holding hands or laying hands on each other. Some of the best comes out when we can lament together. There are times when you just come to church to cry. And this is an okay space to cry with each other. Some of the best in our community comes out when we share communion together, when we give and receive, when we sing together. Didn't we miss singing together the most in virtual church? It is not the same when you are singing to a screen. Worshiping together in a local body doesn't just fill the soul, it also fills our physical needs for connection. The best of community comes out in the church's local body, but also the worst. Our passage today ends up in community worship. Look at it towards the end of the verses that we're going to read, and that's why I picked this this passage for the theme of worship in community. But it first references squeaking pains, That's what I call it when we rub together and we disagree with each other. Sometimes it's squeaking pains, but sometimes it's screeching pains, like a fingernail on a chalkboard. Oh! That most annoying, uncomfortable, unpleasant sound. I guess the younger generation wouldn't know about chalkboards. I don't know. Do you know Brady about chalkboards? Okay, younger than her, would not know about chalkboards. For, so for you, just think about a dentist's drill. Oh. The church with its screeching pains of rubbing together wrong. Sadly, sometimes the worst comes out of worst of community comes out in a local church body. And that's what we're going to tackle first. The context of our passage today is a great gulf of distance between the Jew and the Gentile Christians. By upbringing, by culture, by definition, the Jews despised non-Jews and the feeling was often mutual. So Paul has just spent the whole previous chapter to what we're going to read, telling Christians on both sides of that divide that they are not to judge each other. Interesting that Raoul referenced judging each other. Paul says they are not to judge each other over eating practices or over observance of special holidays. The Jews had very strict practices on both fronts. They were passionate to their core, so much so that it was part of their identity but the Gentiles just didn't get the importance. Paul fought against requiring Jewish religious practices from Gentile Christians, even though many Jews could not divorce themselves from the practices of their faith. And the fight between the two factions in the church who think very differently, that fight has been repeated throughout the centuries of the Christian church in different areas. It's so tricky for us good church folk to figure out what in our thinking or what even in our identity building is cultural and what is absolutely necessary for the faith so paul says in chapter 14 that we are not to judge each other that the strong must accommodate themselves to the weak that our litmus test is not who is right and who is wrong but rather are my actions proof that I am walking in love those are his words in chapter 15 and that we are to pursue what's what makes for peaceful and for mutual upbuilding that's the context for our passage today which is Romans chapter 15 the first 6 verses we who are strong are to stand firm in our rights and to use the power and strength from God to be victorious in our fight. Isn't that what it says? Basically, that's basically what it says? No. That doesn't even sound biblical. So let's read it the way it's written, not the way we wish it was written. We who are strong ought to put up with the failings of the weak, and not to please ourselves. Not to please ourselves. What kind of a principle is that even? Well, it actually does sound like a biblical principle. In fact, it sounds like it could have come from the mouth of Jesus himself. Verse two, each of us must please our neighbor for the good purpose of building up the neighbor. Now, what kind of neighbor do y'all have? Because some of my neighbors are very hard to please. They're really impossible people. So I'd rather not. WWJD, what would Jesus do? Oh, I'm glad you asked. Verse 3. For Christ did not please himself. As it was written, the insults of those who insult you have fallen on me. For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction. So that by steadfast and by encouragement of the scriptures we may have hope. Verse 5, may the God of steadfastness and encouragement grant you to live in harmony with one another in accordance with Christ Jesus. And here we come to the worship part. Verse 6, so that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. (sighs) Worship to the glory of God. We arrived, but we got to get through some junk before we arrive there. There are strong Christians and there are weak Christians. Ironically, the very religious Jews from whom the Messiah came were the weak ones in this situation that Paul is talking about. Oh, the plot twist. Jewish Christians were accustomed to seeing themselves as the strong ones with a long history of discipline and obedience to the commandments of God. But here it's their very adherence to the law that makes them weak. Here the Gentiles are the strong ones because they don't have these preconceived structures of the law in place. They got to skip entirely over the legalistic phase and go straight to grace and freedom. So discernment is very much needed here. In the matters of Christians disagreeing with one another, we need to first know whether the matter falls into this category where we should not judge each other, whether as much as we are passionate on our particular issue, it might just be that the person who thinks otherwise is not so much wrong, but is weaker or stronger than us. Does our disagreement fit into Romans chapter 14 and 15? And not all of them do. Some of them are morally right versus morally wrong disagreements for sure. But I'd like to not let ourselves off the hook too easily until we've been rigorous with ourselves. And even if our issue doesn't meet this test of strong versus weak, the attitude and the principles about how we disagree still apply. But if it does meet this test, we have to think through who is the weak and who is the strong party. So I really wanna focus on verse one as a template for how to work through our disagreements. Verse one, I'm gonna read it again. We who are strong are to put up with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. And what I'm saying today is that if we take verse one, just verse one, to heart, we could tackle much of what is worst in the Christian community. If when we disagreed, we just wrestled through verse one, one, we as a community would be much the better for it. Because it immediately challenges us to reframe the conflict, not in terms of right versus wrong, but in the terms of strong versus weak. And power differentials are always embedded into our social structure, whether we like them or not. And Paul recognizes this. So number one, a principle of this is that this is an in-family Squabble. The person who disagrees so strongly with me is not my enemy, but my sister in Christ, my brother in Christ. This makes a difference. We have to treat each other like family. And I should qualify that because some families are dysfunctional. So we have to treat each other like a loving, caring family. And number two, this verse says that there are strong and weak Christians. Which one am I? Now, I have decided that as a pastor, I am always in a position of power. I, it doesn't feel like that, honestly. But I, in actuality, have seen that my position always gives me an advantage. It's a huge advantage in Christian dynamics to name the power struggles, the power differentials, because they're always embedded in our in our conflicts. And number three, this verse says, the strong must support the powerless. Now the NSRV, which is the translation that we use, really does a disservice to this verse. It says, it says uh, we who are strong ought to put up with the failings of the weak. But it sounds like we have to tolerate the failures of weak people. But that's really not correct. The word put up with in the Greek and in the rest of the New Testament is most commonly translated support, help, carry. It's different than tolerate. And that word is followed by the word weakness. And then that word is followed by the word powerless in that Sentence. So a more proper translation would say the strong must support, help, carry the weaknesses of the powerless. You see how that changes that, that structure? The powerless can't help it that they have these weaknesses. They are who they are. And a weakness is not a failing. I don't know where they got that word failing from. But a weakness is not a failing. So the strong are under obligation to support or help those who through their own current powerlessness have these weaknesses. The strong must not browbeat them with demands for more strength than they can muster. They are to use, the strong are to use their power for others and not for themselves. And this brings us to the fourth thing in that verse is which also bleeds into verse two, that applies most definitely, I think, to the strong, but also to the weak, that applies to both sides of the conflict. We are not to please ourselves, but to please our neighbor. Now, have we noticed by now in our walk of faith that pleasing God will often result in us not pleasing ourselves? Have we noticed that? No wonder my natural reading of the passage, the way I would have written it, doesn't sound biblical at all. So what a challenge it is to be in community when community is at its worst. One of the reasons I value uh, buying Robinson source coffee is because Pasadena wasn't good to the Robinson family when Jackie was young. His family had a cross burned on their front lawn. They lived on Pepper down here, but um, the house is gone now. But they did, they had a cross burned as a message that they don't belong in this community. And I've heard several times that Jackie Robinson really never felt good about Pasadena, uh, about his home community. He died in 1972. And that was two years after the Pasadena schools were court-ordered to desegregate. It was the first court-ordered desegregation west of the Mississippi. And so we're used to all that desegregation uh, happening on that side of the country. Pasadena in 1972 was ordered to desegregate their schools and in 1970. And Jackie died in 1972 and there were still working that out. Public schools uh, were, ha- were struggling. Many whites fled the community from the, from the west to the east side of town. Uh, private schools sprung up almost overnight to cater to the white flight from public schools. Pasadena community needed a lot of change and it still needs change. And so I feel good about buying Robinson coffee and fair trade coffee from Africa. To the extent that our church community looks exactly like any other non-church community, well, that's a challenge to us because we are radically different. We are radically different spiritually and we are not acting that way. It means we haven't been using our incredibly rich divine resources. So I think one thing that I've been practicing uh, in the last few several years is, I make it my practice to take Jesus with me into conflicts on purpose. Knowing that I'm gonna need him more than ever in this hard situation. And I purposefully place Jesus in my mind's eye in the seat next to the other person, because I need to remind myself that the other side of this conflict needs Jesus as much as I need Jesus, and Jesus sides with my brother or sister as much as Jesus sides with me, or maybe even a little bit more. If I am the strong one and they're the weak one, Jesus is right there by them. That really has helped me so much that practice has helped me so much. And then when I get done with that mental and spiritual and attitudinal preparation, then we can get down into the weeds and mud and we can wrestle the conflict through and oftentimes there's no clear, clean, good, happy outcome because things are very messy. But the result we are shooting for, our goal, is always verses five through six, which is a tremendous blessing to us. We want to receive these blessings. I'm gonna read that again. May the God of steadfastness and encouragement grant you to live in harmony with one another in accordance with Jesus Christ, so that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. The goal of Christian community is to reflect the glory of God in harmony in worship. What a high standard. That's why verse five is a prayer. We are asking God for the miracle of living together in harmony with one another. We are praying to the God of steadfastness the God that word is also patience the God of patience the God of endurance and oh, God has to endure such a lot when dealing with us he has to have so much patience with us so look at God the God of endurance we're praying to him and the God of encouragement and that word also means consolation and comfort is paraclete it's what we call the Holy Spirit That's the God we are praying to, to meet us and to give us the gift of his own patience and steadfastness and his own comfort and encouragement so that we can live in harmony. And not spiritual harmony, because it's very easy for us to say, oh, I am one with all Christians everywhere, right? Real, physical, local harmony. In other words, I hope you know that we're asking God for a miracle. Most especially so we can, together with one voice, glorify God. And most especially so we can show all the communities around us what God has done in and among us. And most especially so that we can worship with a free heart. If all Christians everywhere were ever in complete harmony, the world would be stunned. Can you imagine it? We need the power of God so that if anybody asks, well, what does love look like on the street level? They could say, love looks like Christian community. That they could say, love looks like ABC, those people over there. They'll show you what love is all about. The community aspect of worship truly humbles us. I tell people who are looking to get married that nothing will show them how selfish they are more than marriage. And how much they have to grow more than marriage. But then comes parenting. I tell parents the same thing. Nothing will tell you how selfish you are than to have a child. And it's true of Christian community. Nothing will show up our selfishness more than living in a Christian community. It's like a black light. Under a black light, all your lint, all your dirt shows. Stuff you didn't even know you had on you shows up under the black light of the gospel of grace of Jesus Christ. It's it is not God's plan for Christians to fellowship only spiritually and never physically because then we could delude ourselves into thinking that we got this love thing down and we're pretty good when it comes to loving God and loving others. We do not know how much work we need until we enter the lab of love, which is the church community. We don't know the extent of our selfishness until we experience some squeaking and then some screeching pains And that is why it is God's plan for every Christian to be in a physical fellowship with local body of believers because it works on us, on our own selfishness. I was working on this uh, sermon and the worst sound kept grabbing my attention. I just could not concentrate. It was the brass section of Altadena Elementary School. They were, they were practicing. It was awful. It sounded like none of these kids had ever put their lips to a brass instrument in their life. And they were playing two measures of, two measures of music over and over and over, it went bam, 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 bam. No, Bom bam, 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 bam. Ba bum ba that was it. Bum ba bum ba 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 I mean I sound beautiful. There were squawks, there were whistles, there were, there were notes in the rest ba ba ah ba but in the rest. I'm like, that's a rest. Should be nothing there. It was a mess. Oh my goodness. It went on for half an hour. Would you know that at the end of that half hour, they actually got better? I could tell they got better. Half an hour, 45 minutes of working, just two measures. Oh, I was sick of that. Those two measures. But they actually improved. And it reminded me of how many school concerts my husband and I went to as our kids were learning music. The actual music was not good. But we were so proud at every stage, whether our girls were in the beginning or the more accomplished stage of making music, we were so proud and we clapped and clapped and they were learning and one day they would be good and one day they were. Let's bow our heads. Lord, we do long to be good in worship. And if we're going to be good in worship, we need harmony in the church community. So what do you have for us today? What do you have for me today? As we come humbly to you, asking you to make us good at worship at Altadena Baptist Church. Asking you for that miracle, miracle, of living in harmony, in accordance with Christ Jesus. Work in us, God, work in us. We might be squawking and squeaking, Work in us, God. Give us more love. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We meet in Altadena every Sunday morning at 11 a.m. Pacific, both in the sanctuary and on YouTube. Most other events will be starting up soon. But if you need prayer now, please reach out to us at AltaBapPrayer.com at AOL.com and again as always we pray God's blessings on you this week